So our big idea today is this, that Jesus' actions resemble unconditional love. But before we really get into God's word, I want to pray for us real quick. God, thank you so much for giving us this time to be together and to hear your word, to listen to it, uh, and to not only be listeners of your word, but really doers of your word, Lord, that we would put our faith to action and want to pursue you more and more every day through loving one another. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start off here in chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So in previous chapters, we've been hearing a lot about this hour to come. You just heard Curtis talk a little bit about it last week. And this hour is referring to Jesus' death on the cross, followed by his eventual resurrection. This is going to be really important in a second, so just keep that in the back of your mind. But let's keep going. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now you may be wondering, how in the world does this show God's love? Why feet washing? It just kind of seems unnecessary and a little bit awkward. But to really understand how profound this action is, we need to understand the context of what's going on here. See, at the time, culturally, feet washing was reserved for the servants, the lowliest people in society. And people typically walked around everywhere and either wore sandals or were barefoot. There really weren't a lot of options to choose from, and there weren't a lot of transportation options either. Needless to say, your feet got really, really dirty very quickly. And cleaning them, once again, was a job reserved for servants because it was disgusting. This was like the equivalent of scrubbing toilets or cleaning dumpsters. Real, real nasty work that nobody wanted to do, and especially voluntarily. But regardless of that, we see Jesus going against the cultural norm here taking the very nature of a servant for the ones he loved by doing something no one asked him to do with a loving heart. I used to work at a pizza place over in Buffalo. It was one of my best friend's family pizza joints, and I was a crew member there. There were crew members and there were managers. And the crew members got all dirty. They made pizzas. We took them out of the oven, gave them out to people, and we washed dishes. The managers, they really didn't do any dirty work. They were mostly working with people. And one of our jobs at the end of the night, if you were a closer, you had to wash all of the dishes in the restaurant. And it was pretty disgusting. We worked at a pizza place, so it was like crusty dough, old flour, old marinara stains. I remember working like past midnight, just scrubbing dishes for hours. And every now and then, a manager would come down to the dish pit and see that there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And voluntarily, they would sacrifice their own time their own comfort, and their own cleanliness to help me out by scrubbing pans for me. I didn't ask them to do that. That wasn't part of their job description. They just wanted to do it to serve me. And that is kind of what I think of when I think about Jesus washing feet for his disciples because it was a gesture from a humble heart. It's a similar story uh, that we see connect here. Jesus humbled himself willingly out of unconditional love without reaping any benefits from his actions. And no one asked him to do this. This wasn't even something his disciples deserved, and no one would have thought of asking him for it. Jesus's love is often very different from what you and I expect it to be, and it can be really difficult to wrap our minds around how profound it really is. In fact, look at one of how the disciples reacts in verse 6. 
He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not now realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And even So even Peter, a guy who has been around Jesus for so long now, couldn't believe what was happening. What Jesus is doing here just doesn't make sense. And not only is the extent of Jesus' example of love beyond anything the disciples could have ever imagined, this action sets the stage for an even greater act of service from Jesus that was yet to come. So remember, we talked a little bit about the hour to come earlier in this passage, and it's going to come back here. Because this is right before the moment that Jesus is going to be nailed to the cross, one of the most humiliating and degrading ways to die. Behind the surface of this story of washing feet is some incredible symbolism that directly parallels Jesus' death. Look, in verse 4, Jesus got up from the meal just as he left his place of comfort to go to the cross. He takes off his outer clothing just as he had his clothing removed during the crucifixion. He pours water into a basin just as water and blood were poured out from his body after he was pierced on the cross. And finally, look at verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. And what happened after Jesus was crucified? He was raised again on the third day. His majesty was fully intact and he returned to his place in heaven. So just as Jesus washes the feet of his disciples in this passage, he washes away our sins through the crucifixion. See, these two stories mirror each other and that's not by accident. What God is trying to get you to see here is that these two stories are perfect representations of perfect love from God. And we needed Jesus to humble himself as a man for us to even begin to comprehend that. The next thing we're going to see in the story is this. Jesus loves when we don't deserve it. Because we've been talking a lot about the extent of Christ's actions. Now let's look at the people that he's loving, starting in verse 21. We're skipping ahead a bit. So to summarize, he's gotten done washing feet. He's talked about it for a little bit. uh, But everyone's still at the table, and he's still talking. He says something pretty out of the blue here, so let's read it together. Verse 21, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, a disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Could you imagine how awkward that whole situation would be for everyone else there? Imagine just being at a normal dinner with your friends, and one of them just speaks out of the blue and says, Hey guys, you know, I know we've known each other for a long time. I know we're all pretty close, but, you know, I know one of you is going to betray me, and one of you is actually going to be responsible for my death. I know who it is. I'm going to let us all know with this sandwich, and I'm going to give it to you be pretty hard to come up with a conversation after that. I don't know what I would do. It would be very, very awkward and quiet for the rest of the evening. But just when the other disciples thought they were safe, we find out that Judas isn't the only one that gets called out here. We'll skip ahead a bit to see what Jesus says to Peter. Simon Peter asked him in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, 
you will disown me three times. Keep in mind, too, that while Jesus is saying this, the other disciples are right there listening in on the conversation. After two of the disciples, Jesus' closest followers, get called out. I'd imagine that there's a lot of relief in not getting called out for your sins right there. They might be thinking something along these lines. Man, you know, I've done some bad things, but I'm not as bad as Peter or Judas. Those guys are pretty crummy. At least I'm not here betraying Jesus or denying him like that. But here's the thing. We often think that we're not as bad as others just because our sins may look a little bit different from them. But in reality, we're really no better than Judas or Peter here. We turn on God for our own sinful desires every single day, despite his profound love for us. You know, denying Jesus might look like not bringing his name up in a conversation when you know that that other person might really need to hear it. Maybe it's not taking your faith seriously. Maybe it's running to an enslaving sin instead of running to the Father for comfort. All of us find our different ways to take God's love for granted because that's just what we do. We're not perfect. We're broken, broken people. But here's the thing, and this is why this passage gets me every time. When we give up on Jesus, Jesus never gives up on us. He loves his own to the very end. And even though some of his closest companions were about to forsake him, Jesus' love, this perfect, unconditional love, never falters. Because no matter how far you've strayed from God, no matter how you may feel like you're not being worthy of love, Jesus loves you. He washed the feet of those who never thought of doing the same for him. And he died for the people who didn't deserve it. And I wish that I had the words to describe how just in awe I am of that. I just cannot comprehend that level of humility and love. There's one last thing that I really want us to look at here. And if you take anything away from this message, I really hope it's this. Here's our final point. We love because he first loved us. And if that sounds familiar, that's a passage right out of 1 John. Let's look at our final set of verses here. And this is where we're going to end tonight. After Jesus has finished washing the feet of his disciples and has predicted their betrayal, he says this in verses 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm sure that most of you have probably heard this verse if you spent any time around church. But one thing I want you to notice, there's a, it, this is known as a new command. And that really is kind of confusing. If you've been following along with us here in John, Jesus' primary ministry has been centered around the love that he has for this world. And the call to love one another has been present in the Old Testament as well through God's love for his people. So why, why is this a new command? Why is this different all of a sudden? To answer that, we once again have to go to the context that this verse lives in. Typically, the way of thinking at the time was pretty eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If someone loved you, the expectation was that you were to love them back. And in the same way, if someone disliked you or really hated you, it was totally acceptable for you to hate them back. But Jesus totally redirects that way of thinking here. He's calling his disciples to an unconditional love without expecting anything in return. And most importantly, he tags on this call to action at the end. So now that we understand the extent of Jesus' love, now that we understand that we don't deserve Jesus' love, but we get it anyway, and now that we understand that it's our purpose on earth to mirror that kind of love, what are you going to do about it? Because if we spend 20 minutes here talking about love and act on none of it, 
We have failed at this command. And I want this to be foundational for a reason. We've hammered in the fact that faith without action is dead in our previous series in James. And as followers of Jesus, it's our responsibility to act out the love of Christ so that we may love God through it. And, you know, I don't really know what this looks like for you guys, but I took this passage pretty literally in a fun way. Uh, I've got this fancy shoe cleaner that I've used for a while. I've always liked keeping my shoes kind of clean. And this year, Mitchell and I lived with 50 other guys at this big house in Seattle. And we're all always running around doing dumb stuff. And our shoes get pretty dirty a lot of the time. So every once in a while, I'll go around the house and just take everybody's dirty shoes and put them in this big bin. And uh, I'll just spend an hour or two just scrubbing shoes for the day. And I, I say that not to make my halo grow bigger or to make myself look good, but just so that you guys can get an idea of how to be creative with the way that you can serve one another. I took it very literally through washing the feet of my brothers that I live with. But guys, if you need to live out this command, maybe you need to get creative. And I hope that inspires you to start thinking about tangible ways in which you can serve others through humility. There's a multitude of opportunities here at Alderwood right now that you can jump in and try. And I'd really encourage you to talk to one of our staff to get involved and see where God is, can start to use you. As you're thinking about the ways in which you can serve God right now, I've got some questions that I want on your mind for a while. Number one, how does Jesus' love look different from how you've thought about love? How does your understanding of Jesus' humility affect how you view God's character? And finally, how can you be practically showing the people in your life right now the love of Jesus? And I especially want you guys to be thinking about that last one. With all that being said, I really want to pray for us as we close out here. God, your word is such a gift to us every day. I pray that we would never take that for granted. Lord, we are, we are not created to understand the full extent of your love for us. And I pray that we would consistently be just in awe of you, Lord, the sacrifice that you made and the ways that you continue to work in our lives, Lord. I pray that we would rely on you for our understanding, not on our own. Lord, that you would give us practical opportunities to act out your example of service and humility to others, Lord. Thank you so much for the time that we had today, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, thanks guys. Appreciate you being here. Take care.